On this week's episode of Married to an Inmate, The Cameron's Uncut, my husband and I dialogue about a television series that aired over the weekend that we watched together on NBC and later had a follow-up town hall on MSNBC. You can say it is an important concept with all of the conversations being had about prison reform and a lot of the injustice surrounding the demographic onset that mass incarceration outlines. I will attach both links in the description of the podcast aired. The series, Justice for All, had a focal point this week of life on the inside of a maximum security institution. In this episode, NBC takes an eye-opening look at the nation's criminal justice system. Lester Holtz spends two nights in a cell at Louisiana State Penitentiary, also known as Angola, the largest maximum security prison in the U.S. His only objective was to explore the mass incarceration crisis. Through these episodes, you will get a chance to see the lifestyle of the masses and learn the intimate story of a few different men as they face the parole board seeking an opportunity to have their freedom after serving as much as 60 years in prison. The statistics speak volumes. The play on colorism is clearly evident. Once you hear each man's story highlighted in the episode, the truth behind, quote-unquote, being fair and just in our country's judicial system will definitely get the side eye. It is a difficult truth to watch, but to look at things from the perspective of change and growth, there is not one of us who can say that we are the exact same person as we were when we were 15 or 16 years old, at 35, 50, or even 70. At what point can Black men be afforded the same privileges as some of their non-Brown constituents and be seen when they are a child as a child with so much possibility, or even as a man, a man who has served a tremendous amount of time, all while being a leader in his environment and an instiller of hope amongst his peers. Dateline NBC decided to give us an opportunity to walk in the shoes of someone who is in the incarceration process and what that looks like. For many of us, this is an everyday life for our loved ones. For many others, they have no clue of the things that actually take place and what actually goes on and the path to redemption that people don't seem to believe exists. I'm sure that we've all done things that we regret in life and we wish we could have a second chance. And I think the temperature and climate surrounding mass incarceration is one that we all need to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, um, but I was just saying... I'm just saying... I mean, how, how they can't even rationalize it. And that's the, that's the big part that I'm glad, you know, just, just having a documentary, you know, we watched it, we watched it, you know, Samaya watched it with me, you know, she's asking questions or whatever, but it's plain to see, you know, there's a, there's a second set of rules that we're playing by, you know, as, as black people in it and colorism plays a huge role in this because didn't that other man kill somebody else while he was. What was the what was the man who actually got parole? So there was three guys. Montgomery yeah, okay, was the man who, yeah. Montgomery was the man who 
uh, killed up off-duty police officer that was in plain clothes that he was just afraid of back in the 1950s. And they denied him. He'd been locked up 55 years. I mean, the man clearly, you know, even the way that he speaks. And I was so sad because he had already packed his bags. He just knew it was going to be his turn. And then, yeah. what about the other man? What did he do? The the other black now, man. Well, I mean, it's, I don't like to get into all details, but, you know, it, it was, you know, he took somebody's life. He was young. I think he was like 16, 17 years old. But the whole point is, you know, it was, it was a young girl. I mean, it's somebody's daughter. Somebody, you know, family member, relative, loved one. So that's a life that can't be, you know, replaced. But, but you know, he did 61 years now. They closed him out. He did 61 years. Um, I mean, now, he had another issue where somebody lost life while he was doing time. So, but that's, that's kind of like, you know, in the prison environment. You know, you have a you have situations where it's like either killed or be killed. So that's another thing too. They don't value an inmate's life or a prisoner's life doesn't have the same value as you know somebody you know a citizen. Or, you know, it makes totally different. I know plenty of guys who caught murder charges when they were back here, and they didn't get nothing but five, ten, or fifteen years. You know what I'm saying? Because you know they they call it they call it um, how do they word it? It's the uh, part of the monotony of prison life. Like routine, you know, it's, it's to be expected that you're going to have fights, you're going to have altercations with violent offenders that's going to result in somebody's death. So they take it like, you know, with a grain of salt, and they don't really uh, move to, pr- to prosecute like they would if somebody out there in the free world. But, um, um, but yeah, you know, like I said, he, he, he did a, a life sentence. I mean, he did 61 years, you know, and, and he, was little, he was a little bit more light skinned, you know, so. In Montgomery, so mm-hmm. the thing is, it's, it's threefold as far as Montgomery situation and just, just how the system works, and you know, dealing with you know the South and you know how that uh, you know still operates in that Jim Crow mentality and that racist mentality. But you have the impartial bias. I mean, the majority of the people that's on the floor were probably even born <laughs> when this man first started with the time. But you still have this uh, impartial bias that people operate from people who make these decisions in the, in the judicial system where they view um, white people or, or white-skinned people are less threatening than dark-skinned people. Right. Okay, that's just something that's kind of like in the psyche of a lot of our minds, you know? Yeah. So, so you have that. Then you got the fact that, okay, this man was law enforcement, so he has this whole, the, the, the person who lost his life, you know, he has a, a son or a grandson or whatever who's part of law enforcement. So you have this whole advocacy for making sure that he doesn't get out. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Okay. And then, so you have that. So then, you know, all of them, you know, they're kind of the good old boys. They're kind of loyal to each other in that, in that respect. And then you have the other um, aspect of, you know, the state of Louisiana, they, they appealed, you know, that whole case. So he went to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court upheld his decision, you know, and it affects everybody in the country now, you know what I'm saying, as far as how the juveniles were, were uh, prosecuted with these life sentences, it's unconstitutional. So now it's like the state of Louisiana has uh, a grudge or they, they're going to hold them as long as they can out of spite. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just because he's so opening the door for all these other people, you know, brought about some right. change to a system that they don't necessarily want to change. Yeah. Right, exactly. So you have all that, you know what I'm saying, going on in the situation. But, you know, um, 
I mean, it, it just it got real for him to get out, which, you know, like I said, I believe that um, that no man can stop that. You know, I mean, no man can stop that. You know, doors gonna open, and um, and you just gotta, you know, have faith and keep faith with that. And some, you know, when you have men who are able to, you know, function, find purpose and meaning after doing, you know, like, you know, all this time, you know, looking at, um, I mean, even for me, you know, I look at, you know, not looking at what I've lost in the situation. I look at what I can gain and what I have gained. You know, I always have looked at it like that, and that's what has kept me, you know, mentally stable. It has kept me optimistic. You know, it has kept me, like, strong through all type of challenges and adversity. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just, you know, praise a lot. You know, I'm, I'm going to give a lot of the praise for that anyway. But, uh, you know, you have to have something to keep you grounded. And, you know, and, and just even watching that, like, I was just looking at the conditions of the prison that they were in. And Angola has a lot of, I've seen, that's not the first time I've seen, you know, um, you know, different documentaries on Angola. They do do a lot. They have been a lot of prisoners. They, they kind of, you know, was forced to go to this program or into style of, you know, correction because all the stuff that was going on in their prison, it was the most violent prison, most deadly prison in the country, you know, so they had a, you know, bad look on that once it started to get attention, um, you know, uh, nationwide. So they had to, you know, create ways to give the prisoners more outlets to uh, do things that was going to humanize them. You know, mm-hmm. that's why they're doing a lot of the concerts. And they, they do a lot of stuff, though, you know, um, mm-hmm. faith-based things and program-based things and whatnot. But as far as the conditions that they're living in, I'm looking at, you know, the conditions I'm in is living conditions as far as the room situation. I mean, they got, they, they living in, um, uh, you know, the, you see how the living quarters was, right? What yeah, they call that? Open war. Like big, almost like a big orphanage room where just... Yeah, it's open war. It's open war. You don't even have no privacy. Yes. Yeah, you got no privacy. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, at least I, mean, I could be in the cell uh, with a little privacy. And, and, and then, you know, I mean, because I, I do... You know, appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, that's something that I value. Being able to have a little privacy and whatnot. Um, you know, my situation with me being able to, to go to work and cause I think they said them guys go out in the field. What they get? Two cents a day. Two cents a day. Yeah. That's what they get. Well, I said my roommate was like two cents a day. He said, why they working? Why they even working? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, it, but it's more. It's more to it than that. You know, like you know, being able to go out there and play vegetables that you don't eat. You know, it could do something your soul for your soul so uh but dang two cents a day man that's that's rough mm-hmm. and i'm looking at you know how you know we are favored yes. it's it's always somebody in a worse situation you know so um you got to count your blessings and you know i'm counting my blessings and, um but i think that Mr. Hope, he was moved by the by the whole thing and matter of fact somebody told me that he was supposed to be on again tonight but you know they got the football game on I'm thinking it's, it's on, uh, uh, what is it, M, M, NBC, M, M, S, NBC or something, whatever. It might be on a different station. But, oh, okay, okay. But uh, it's like another segment, you know. It's, I think it's, it's a few different segments that he's done, and that was just one of them, you know, that they okay. showed on Friday. But I think, um, I think it's good. I think it's good that they're starting to be, you know, like everybody's starting to try to create all this awareness around, uh, prison reform because the truth and is being exposed right 
So you got all these people, you know, a lot of people that are coming out that have been locked up for years and years and years that were not guilty. You got all these people, and I'm not saying that everybody's not guilty, but I'm just saying this is a real-life story of how they went about the process of mass incarceration. And, you know, just to kind of see, but then, then you think about, man, I just think about how depressed I am when I have to sit in this house for two days or whatever and kind of go crazy, like what, what that does to your mental, you know what I mean? What that does to my mental health, right? If I can't go outside, if I can't just be free and you think about the post-traumatic stress that's imposed upon, you know, certain places, certain, certain, under certain circumstances, right? When you're incarcerated, even, even that officer in the beginning, he said, you know, we're going about this the the wrong way. You know, you got oh, yeah. a lot of guys yeah, a, locked up in the a, system. Uh, yeah, he was a commissioner. He was a commissioner. Yeah. yeah. He, he said you got a lot of, of guys state, yeah. locked up in the system. I mean, and they're just in here. Yes, it's the the purpose is to punish. No hope. But it's like. Yeah, no not, hope. Huh? Yeah. No hope. They don't have any hope. And that's, that's the main source of depression. When people feel hopeless. Right. But but before we even get to that, the point the point is supposed to be like they said, um, the number said uh, that it was like we only how many people do we have in the grand scheme of things in the world? Like the United States does not have the largest amount of people, but of the people that five percent, five percent, make up five percent of the world's population, five percent of the world's population, and twenty percent. Of, of the incarcerated population of the world. Yeah. Exactly. But then it was like um, six percent. What was it like? Six for every six black men or something? It was, you know what I mean? Like, what was the black number? Like. No, so it's, it's for uh, it's six black men incarcerated for every one white man. Or, or uh, six a black men are six times, you know, are more likely to be incarcerated than white men. Right, and then you look yeah. at everything, right? And so that, and so I'm just saying, so going along that before we even get to the mental health component of what this does to a generation or even a culture of people, you're looking at it like, and the man said himself, you know, the purpose is rehabilitation. We just locking these people down for years and years and years, and then you know everybody is not like you. Everybody doesn't have faith and a higher power everybody doesn't believe in god and right. you know you look at the people who have no faith and those are typically the well, most well, miserable people though yeah and, and what well, the thing is about the whole now that everything is up for debate when it comes to um you know uh incarceration and and the justice system and how they approach crime right you have the the rehabilitation side and advocates and you also have the uh, retributive uh, or retribution advocates and the retribution advocates that advocate for you know lock them up, throw away the key, you know uh, the the time, fix the crime, and you know so on and so forth, right? Aggressive sentencing and all that. They want to punish. So you know all that's up for debate. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not etched in stone that incarceration is for rehabilitation. You have some on on that side, and right now, being that it's a lot of pressure on the different states. You know, as far as, you know, um, their government, they all boiled out of money, if you ask me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have some people that's on moral grounds with it and, and people who are, you know, moved by the whole, the, the moral uh, issue 
you know, but when it comes to all these government officials and elected officials, they're looking at their budget at the same time. And it's really weighing on their budget. And that's when it starts to become, okay, now how can we approach this from a, you know, a different a different way? And so the pendulum is, is, is um, swinging from the retribution uh, approach to correction to the rehabilitation approach to correction. But basically it's, um, I mean, it's all, it's, 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 it's supposed to make, the, it does make the environment safer when you do give um, the prisoners hope and give them outlets, you know, to do things they find personal meaning, you know, in their lives and, and they become more human, so to speak, you know what I mean? But, um, um, yeah, and, and, you know, it's a safe environment, not just for uh, the inmate population, but also for the employees that come in here too. You know, because, I mean, you got, you know, you got, you walking into a situation where you're supposed to be, you know, as an employee, you're supposed to be, you know, for security and making sure, ensuring the safety of, of the people that's in the place. And, I mean, you know, you don't even have the personnel to secure and... and you have 60 seconds remaining. Don't see what's going on, you know, so right, it's, right. it's not a safe place to be. You're right, and, and I think I think they're starting to take a whole different approach because even I was reading an article today about a, a Texas judge, you know, basically telling them that they were going to throw the the people in charge of the prison in behind bars because they hadn't had air conditioning in the prison for X amount of weeks or what have you, and you know it's hot as hell in Texas, so yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Texas, Texas, we have thirty seconds remaining. A lot of stuff that that goes on in Texas that you know violates you know, the, the rights of uh, the prisoners. And, um, yeah, they always, in, in, in the law books, you know what I'm saying, for, for some lawsuits, it's, it's bad. That, that goes back to what I was saying. It's always somebody's situation is worse than yours. So, you know, I got to count my blessings, you know?